Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. God and climate change. This topic may not seem like it's for everyone, but whether you're atheist, Muslim, Buddhist, Catholic, whatever, you can't deny that policymakers in the U.S. and elsewhere often invoke the Bible as a basis of defense, and in some cases, to make a case against environmentalism. Which is why I've wanted to have this conversation for so long, long before this podcast existed. Should organized religion be Earth's fiercest protector, or should humans be consuming all of our natural resources as our God-given right? A growing number of theologists and church leaders are taking a stand on climate change and the role churches should play in combating it. Before we get to my incredible guest for this episode, I want to give a little background on my own faith. Very personal topic, but it probably gives me a bit of a bias in this episode. I was baptized, raised, and confirmed Catholic. I come from a family with priests and nuns in the family tree. A relative did my first communion. My husband and I even saw the Pope on our honeymoon. A Pope, I might add, that fiercely supports climate action. But for the last several years, I've attended services and eventually joined the Presbyterian Church USA, which is why I reached out to the Reverend Dr. J. Herbert Nelson, stated clerk of the Presbyterian Church USA. He wrote a letter after the latest global climate report in October 2018 in support of climate action. And we're going to hear from him in just a moment. But first, I want to share a conversation I had with Dr. Katherine Wilkinson. She authored a book called Between God and Green, based on her doctoral research at the University of Oxford. She gave excellent perspective on how evangelical Christians are creating a middle ground on climate change. Catherine, thank you so much for coming over to our weather.com studios. It's nice that you live in Atlanta. It is really nice. Um, thank you for having me to this spot that has such a great view, which is very unusual for a recording studio. I personally like it because we get to actually have a face-to-face conversation rather than through the phone or Skype or whatever. So thank It's you. much more fun this way. Thank you for coming in. God and climate change. It's two things that I think about a lot, which is, you know, part of, you know, my personal story, but Whenever you think about organized religion, is there a role for organized religion in the climate change conversation? So I think there's a role for everyone in the climate change conversation and every institution. So I would say yes to probably anyone, right, or or any space or sector. But I think that religion has a particularly powerful role to play because Climate change is confronting us with some big and existential questions, right? Questions about morality, questions about responsibility. And that's sort of the bread and butter of religion, I think. And and I think religion can be a space where those kinds of conversations, conversations that are grounded in values and ethics and beliefs can find a home. And so I think it's really helpful also to have those conversations in community. And I think that's another thing that organized religion brings to the table that is uh, uniquely helpful on climate as well. There are leaders of different religious groups that have made statements on climate. One big one, the Pope. The Pope did it. (laughs) The Pope. (laughs) 
but there are others that don't and actually kind of take a different stance. But with those that make, you know, these large statements on behalf of their church on the topic of climate change, is that their lane? Well, I think it is their lane because when we actually look at when we look at, at, at the theological grounding of religion, when we look at scripture, when we look at the Bible, there's actually a, a great version of the Bible that has everything about the earth, creation, nature, printed in green. And you flip through it and you realize, oh my gosh, this is just full, actually, of content that is about the earth and this place and humanity's responsibility um, for living beings. So when you, you know, I I really appreciate uh, Catherine Hayhoe, who folks may know is just, I think, one of the most rock star climate communicators out there. Absolutely. She she describes evangelicals as, um, and she herself is one, as, as people who take the Bible seriously. But if you are someone who takes the Bible seriously and you flip through those pages and see that it's riddled with green, well, if you're not having a conversation about the earth, the climate, nature, our responsibility for the living systems of this planet, then maybe you're missing something. And there are people that say, I do, I'd read the Bible, and it told me that God gave man dominion over the earth. So therefore, we should use it. The, the fossil fuels are ours. The forests are ours. The animals are ours. What is the difference in interpretation there? So this is this one word has has been the source of a, a lot of conversation, a lot of academic study <laughs> and writing, and I'm sure many debates over dinner tables. It's interesting when you look at that word dominion in context. Other places where it's used, it's used to describe sort of um, responsible and ethical rulership or leadership you know the the kind of leadership that you would want to see from from a political leader right of really taking care of a community and that one phrase that's gotten so much attention has somehow in some ways sort of trumped others like the call to tend and keep the garden which is also in the beginning of genesis So I think when we think about dominion in context and and the way that it's used in other other places in the Bible, and then we start to set that one piece of scripture in the context of others, we see, I think, a a more robust theology of, of caring for creation. And of course, we shouldn't forget that much later in the Bible, in, in Revelations, it says God will destroy those who destroy the earth. So, <laughs> I mean, that seems pretty serious. You're just saying <laughs> that is also, it's also in, in there. <laughs> just it's saying. also in there. Um, but I think, you know, also what we see, and I think people are very aware of, is that there is call after call after call to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the migrant, the least of these, a responsibility to people who may have less resources or less power. 
or or lesser means at, at hand. And when we think about climate change in particular, the impacts of it are are hitting the the poor and the vulnerable first and and most intensely. And those are the same folks who have the least ability to manage, right, and respond and bounce back from something like a natural disaster or may not have options to relocate, right? And so I think that's the other thread of theology that's that's really, really relevant at this intersection of religion and climate. That was the question I was going to ask you <laughs> next. You completely read my mind. It is kind of the entire New Testament goes into, you know, sitting with sinners, dining with the poor. How how do we help those that are most at risk from climate change through the lens of, you know, Christianity? Wow, that's a great question. Well, to me, if if you know that there's harm being done, right, to to anyone, but particularly those who really don't have the means to respond or to protect themselves, then you have a responsibility, I think, to to take action to to maybe maybe you can't snap your fingers and fix it, but to try. And also to try to support people, you know, the impacts of climate change are are already with us. We are already living in a climate changed world. So we're going to have to both help people respond and adapt and be resilient and also try to stem the emissions that are causing the problem. There are some, you know, religious organizations that actually go as far to lobby on behalf of things like carbon tax. Is that the role of churches? Is that them getting involved, you know, the the separation of church and state? This is one of those things that I think I think when I first learned that religious organizations were going that far, I was surprised, Mm. but it's probably because I'm just, I'm not a lobbyist. (laughs) So I didn't know. (laughs) I mean, is that, is that taking a step too far or in your opinion, is that taking the right course, the course of action that churches should be taking? Well, I, I think the reality is that religion has always been active in the public square for all of American history, right? For for all that we talk about, um, the separation the separation of church and state, the public square is a space where we have big debates about what is right and what should be done and who is responsible and what course of action makes sense in light of that responsibility. So, in in that sense, I think it makes you know, it's, it seems perfectly logical um, that religion is is participating there, and I think on on this topic in particular, we need we need strong voices in support of climate action because there is so very much money and effort being put into the efforts to stop that action that don't have the best interests of all Americans, uh, much less all of the world at heart. I will say that there was a particular, in my own personal church that I attend, there was a service in which the pastor brought up climate change as a mean, or climate action as a means of redemption. Mm. If that's what we're looking at doing here, here's a mean 
means of redemption. That doesn't necessarily go over real well because <laughs> it is such a, a an intensely political topic that you're bringing into the pulpit. How would you recommend that people have these conversations without offending half of the congregation? Yeah, so I, I think the first thing is is to recognize how how politicized this topic has become and and that's been very intentional right there have been very deliberate efforts to make it a political issue well i don't know about you but clean water and clean air and space to be in nature and protecting people from the health health impacts like asthma and other things like none of that seems political to me right I don't think science is inherently political unless it is made so. And and that's what we've seen on this topic. So certainly I think being aware that it has become such a politicized topic that people are going to be bringing partisan ideology and beliefs to this topic is really important. But I think when we can step back from climate policy, right, and talk about shared values, right? And and begin there as a, a place to find common ground. You know, I think oftentimes if you asked almost anyone, kind of go in your mind to a place that you love, that brings you a sense of peace and calm or joy, I think most people imagine someplace outside, right? We actually are, I think, really hardwired to be connected with this planet. It's our home, right? Um, this just doesn't seem so crazy. And I think sometimes when you can start there, right, and then maybe make your way into the topic of, of quote-unquote climate action, um, that may, may be a, a more fruitful path. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. No, that's great perspective. And I couldn't agree more about being in nature and that feeling you feel so connected even though you're hopefully not on your phone out there. You're not, you're not literally connected, spiritually connected. Before we go to our next guest, I'm going to pause for just a second for one of our recurring segments, Go Before It's Gone. Now boarding. If you're considering a visit to the Holy Land, you better go soon. The space between the Jordan River and Mediterranean Sea that is the birthplace of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity has had some major battles recently against the effects of climate change. With the temperature here expected to rise by about 3 degrees Fahrenheit by the end of this century, you can expect far more prolonged droughts like the region has recently suffered. In fact, the Jordan River, where Jesus was baptized, could become barely a trickle. With the growing zones moving north, the people who rely on them for food and income may be forced to do so as well. Not to mention, we know lack of food and jobs from climate change is a major cause of conflict. And the fight over land here is already so fierce. I don't want to imagine what it's like when the livable area shrinks even further. So if you're planning a trip to the birthplace of so many religions, I'd recommend going before it's gone. Now let's get to my chat with the Reverend Dr. J. Herbert Nelson. He's the head of the Presbyterian Church USA, and they are not shying away from the issue of climate change. 
Jay Herbert, I cannot thank you enough for coming on this podcast. The reason that I felt like you were a perfect person to have this conversation with was that following the IPCC report in 2018, you issued a letter. And in that letter, you basically stated the Presbyterian Church USA backed the idea of climate change, backed the report. What compelled you to write that letter? Well, the Presbyterian Church uh, USA, we have been uh, relatively progressive on most justice issues. And we define this pretty much as a justice issue because of the dire impact that could actually uh, take place if we are not truly serious about dealing with the issue of climate change. Uh, And I think the evidence is there not simply in the science, but it is also there with regards to our call as Christians to truly be able to protect the earth. Uh, This earth has been given to us uh, by a God of creation, and we have been expected to be good stewards of God's creation. We were given dominion uh, in Genesis of the Bible, but dominion does not mean domination. It means that we have a responsibility uh, as stewards of the earth to take care of it. And so compelled by our gospel, compelled by Uh, an understanding of who we are as Christians and uh, what our responsibility as stewards of God's uh, work and handiwork that has been given over to us, uh, we we should take seriously the understanding of what it means uh, to be involved in the issues of climate and climate change in this particular period. It's interesting that you mention dominion over the earth, Genesis, this idea that God gave man dominion over the earth. And that's something that you hear fairly often from various politicians or from um, leaders of other denominations cite as a reason to use fossil fuels. But it seems as though you interpret it a different way. Well, yes. I, I think the issue is that we have been set in, uh, we've been given a place as human beings to care for the earth. So without us, the issue of caring for the earth doesn't happen. And if that is a responsibility given to us, how we take seriously that particular aspect of our being uh, really matters. And what we are seeing today with regards to the heavy-duty use of fossil fuels, the continuous ways in which we are doing dumping uh, on land space, the ways by which we are really just abusing the earth, digging more and more and more and more for the issue of commerce, uh, one of the great realities that we're dealing with is not only are we creating problems in our own communities, but we are also creating problems with regards to how we are continuing to live in such a way that predictions are even being made now that we could actually be uh, moving toward our own destruction if we're not careful. And you have to take that science seriously. That's not something that we can step back from and say it doesn't exist, it's not true, nor is it something that we can just basically pass off uh, as a belief that abusing the earth is something that is a privilege that's been given to us because we are dominant over the earth. No, God is still dominant over the earth and has a calling for us to protect that which has been given. If you don't mind, I'm going to play a little audio for you. It's from the former director of the EPA, Scott Pruitt. And it has to do with his perspective of how we should use resources. We have a responsibility to to manage and cultivate, harvest Mm -hmm. uh, the natural resources that we've been blessed with. 
to, to, to truly bless our fellow mankind. So basically, it sounds to me like he's saying, hey, you know, God gave us these resources and it is our responsibility to bless our fellow mankind with these resources. Is that a part of the Bible? Well, I think the issue of blessing humankind has already been uh, given by God. (laughs) And our responsibility, uh, I think, is to acknowledge and accept that, that everything does belong to God and not to us. And the other part uh, that I think is uh, something that is grounded in an understanding of the Scriptures is that our role as stewards makes us accountable to God. So we are not just to uh, wreak havoc over what God has given. And I think this is one of the things that we have experienced, not simply with the environment, but in many aspects of our society and our culture, is the belief that we have uh, dominion or domination, however you want to uh, uh, put that uh, forward, but that that gives us the right then to abuse. And what we're suggesting in the statement and also in the ongoing positions that this denomination has held uh, the Presbyterian Church USA, it has, we have always believed that we have more of a responsibility as caretakers, uh, as stewards of God's work. And therefore, protecting it is very much a part of it, as well as the use of it, and using it in such a way that we are not wasting resources and that we are surely not abusing what God has given so that there becomes not just a shortage, but there also becomes a way by which we have turned inward on the very creation we have been given to take care of. And uh, that means that uh, how do we provide for our neighbors? How do we provide for those who do not have? How do we find ways creatively to make sure that all of God's creation is cared for with the resources that God has been given in the earth? And I think that's something that we take very seriously in our theology and our understanding of faith. Is climate change and climate action a form of redemption? And what does the scripture tell us about that? I can see uh, definitely the correlation between an act of redemption and climate change. And I think it's consistent, again, with the levels of abuse that we are uh, and have been uh, engaged in for a very long time. And how do we as humanity try to find a way by which we can offer some level of repentance, which would be our word, to turn around, stop doing, stop doing what we're doing, turn around and walk in another direction can be a very short explanation of repentance. How can we do just that and actually redeem both ourselves and the very earth that God has given to us to act as stewards? What would you say is the most convincing argument that you could make for Christians or anyone of any denomination that they should believe, and it's interesting we use the term believe in climate change as though you are believing in God, that they should believe scientists whenever they say that climate change is real. What is, what is the best argument that you have for that? I think there are some deeper levels uh, by which we have to look at. Let's look at the human experience, the increase in asthma in many of our school districts among children, uh, respiratory problems that are taking place in people's lives. I mean, I think we can go to science for a lot of different issues. But I think one of the things is that we, particularly in faith, try to draw people to the personal aspect of what is taking place. 
there is a cause and effect for some of the things that we are actually facing in terms of medical histories now, uh, ways by which we are actually seeing the evidence of uh, dying plants that are not going to return to the earth again, <laughs> and the killing off of some of the food supplies, even of our animals today, that we really don't have any kind of plausible explanation other than something has significantly changed in the earth. And how do we begin to reverse that? And I leave everybody with the same question. Every interview that we do here on Warming Signs, we like to instill a little hope. So what have you seen or what do you expect to see in the future that gives you hope with regard to climate change and organized religion, PCUSA, any of the above? And I see in a time, quite frankly, where we are troubled as a nation. Uh, with the regression of policies coming out of Washington, D.C., and the uptake of uh, sometimes very violent negative statements with our own president. It is, uh, I think, gratifying to see that on the other side of that, people are not fearing and standing still, but instead standing firm in the liberty wherewith Christ Jesus has set them free to do the work of faith. And that is to be about the business of being caretakers, uh, caregivers, stewards, of the earth and which, in which God has given us to take care of. And I think that's in a sense where we began this understanding. Uh, it is a stewardship question for us. It is about what do we do with what God has given us? How do we treat it? Because that too is quite frankly more than money itself. Uh, we made money, but God gave us the earth and God gave it to us for our own survival and prosperity. And I believe right now we are seeing people who are taking that seriously because so many of us are impacted by it. Thank you so much for all of this information and insight. It has been invaluable. I am so grateful that you took the time to speak with me. And thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm sure that the Presbyterian Church USA is thankful for this opportunity. And I, I just want to say that on behalf of the denomination. This podcast was a little more personal than maybe some of the others. And um, some of the things you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics <laughs> and climate change all mixed into one. But I have to thank our incredible guests for joining us, the Reverend Dr. J. Herbert Nelson and Dr. Katherine Wilkinson. They are brilliant. I really appreciated all of their insight and I hope that you did too. If you have something that you would like to add to the conversation or a question, tweet at me at WeatherKate. That's at Weather K-A-I-T. Some of you have already tweeted at me and we are already planning episodes as a result of those conversations. So come and talk to me. Of course, I want to thank our incredible producers for this podcast. Mia Bichak, Dan Wright, Jim Robinson, Eric Zirkel, the whole kit and caboodle here at weather.com for taking these thoughts out of my brain and putting them into yours every Tuesday. Don't forget to subscribe and rate. Until next week.